0: Thank you. Clap it up. That's awesome. I am super excited to be here with you guys tonight. I feel like like amped up, like jacked up. I don't know if it was worship or, or Shekinah's closing or like the two cups of wild roast coffee that I had today, but I just like I'm ready to go. Let's run laps. Let's just, no? Okay. <laughs> Uh, Here's the thing. Even if you don't like my teaching, still sign up for the program. That's I'll throw that out there tonight, too. And he goes, if you like his teaching, sign up for the program. As we were uh, praying today, I I can't go on before I I release this because there's so much going on uh, in worship that's in alignment with this. Um, But in our time at Intercessory earlier, I was just asking the Lord. I said, God, what have you been doing in our people, you guys, uh, this week and this month? Uh, and there's so many things that are in alignment with what was released during worship that I, I can't help but to release it all the more and just uh, deliver this to you guys. And what I heard God saying is, I'm awaking sleepers, I'm reviving those who felt like they've lost it all, and then I'm calling them, them being all of us, to take a stand. Uh, I don't know if that resonates with you. If any of those resonate with you, if all of them resonate with you, but if they do, I just want you to—you don't know, have to like grab it. And if you want to, you know, physically grab it, act of faith, you could do that as well. Uh, but if you feel that's a word for you, come up and find me after service. Uh, I don't care if there's a hundred people that have to find me after service. I want to pray with you and just bless you because um, I, I feel God's doing something incredible on that tonight. I'm gonna kind of do a type of teaching that I would do if I was doing a breakout at a conference. Is that okay with you guys? Uh, so it's going to be very practical. I'm going to give you guys some, some different tools tonight to help you in your 242s, your relationships, your friendships. Um, but earlier this year, I actually did do a breakout at a conference, and I have some of the breakout session handouts that kind of go in alignment with this. We're going to be talking about spiritual disciplines tonight. Uh, And I'm going to leave these up here uh, after the service. And if you just, if you're going, you know, spiritual disciplines, it's something new to me or, you know, I've always been confused on that. Where do I begin? Just come up and grab one of these. It's, it was written for like high schoolers, middle schoolers. Um, So it's at a level that everybody can dive in and start their journey with spiritual disciplines. Is that cool? All right. So let me open up and get my notes and then. We will pray. My wife and son are back here too. They came in to to visit me. Everybody wave at Samuel. He's a a year old as of last Thursday. So he's cute. We had a a brown bear birthday party for him this weekend. Our entire house is just nothing but brown bear. It was amazing. But Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for tonight, God. We thank you for the things that you're doing in our midst. Father, we pause right now to recognize we're not playing right now. We are actively participating with what you are doing in our age. It is our joy to be here with you. It is our joy to live our life with you. It is our joy to live our life towards you. It is our joy to take our relationships in our life, our friendships, and orient them towards you. And Father, I pray that you would give us Wisdom on what that looks like. God, I pray that tonight, as we go over the spiritual disciplines, that these would not be pieces of bondage uh, or shackles that people put themselves in, but they would actually be liberating practices that orient us towards you. That every single discipline, whichever ones we choose to engage with, would be containers for your grace, doorways into your presence, would lead us to see you face to face every single day. God, let us build history with you. By ourselves, in our secret place, but also within our communities. I pray over the communities in this room, God. I pray over the friendships that are represented in this room. God, that they would body forth you and your kingdom into this world. Oh, we say, "Have your way." We love you. We praise you, and pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said, "Amen." Amen. All right, devoted. Or two forty-two is the the name of our series. And uh, if this is your first week joining us, we've been talking about what does it look like to take our relationships and to orient them towards Christ. We'll come back around to that. But we've been talking about various different things of of relationships. Bad company corrupts morals, and, and if bad company corrupts good morals, then good company actually promotes good morals. And We talked about who's in your boat, and, and who's the good company that you want to have around, but now that we've gotten to that point, now that we've walked through and said, okay, so who are we running through life with? Who are we doing relationship with? Well, then sometimes we're left with that question, well, now what? We know who we're doing relationship with, but what does that relationship look like? What does it look like to do community oriented towards Christ? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. So Acts 2.42. This is the early church. This is right after the, or it's on the day of Pentecost, right after the Pentecost. Uh, so we see what the, the believers right after receiving the Holy Spirit and empowered to go out and live a kingdom life are doing. They're living in community together. So it says, "In they, these believers who are devoted to Christ they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers i think that's interesting this is and the prayers not just prayer but the prayers and we'll talk about that a bit tonight so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching that we have. Praise the Lord, we have. It's been recorded for us. We could see what the apostle Paul says. We could see what John says. We could see what Peter says as they lead us and guide us in our Christ-like nature to teaching, to the fellowship. That's that's living life with one another. To breaking of bread that's both eating and feasting together, but then also sitting around the Lord's table together, communing together, eating of communion together, and the prayers. This isn't the only thing that they were doing. It actually goes on and says that many signs and wonders were breaking out with them. They were actually taking and selling all their possessions and then giving to those in need, those in their community. They were so tight-knit, they were so oriented towards Christ that they gave all of themselves in order to live a Christ-like self, sacrificial life towards the sake of each other, towards the love of each other, towards the love of God, towards the love of neighbor. Do you see the, the devoted aspect? They were sold out, devoted towards Christ, but then also in being devoted towards Christ, they were devoted towards his people. So, our definition of what we call a 242, so around that access, we don't have uh, what would normally be called small groups. We have what we call 242, and it's it's not small groups that have been sanctioned by us, oriented by us. It's actually a heartbeat that we've handed over, that scripture is handed over that we would walk out within our communities. We would walk out within our friendships, within those who we've decided would be in our boat. We would walk these things out with them. So a 242 is friendships devoted to Christ, say to Christ, Christ. through the spiritual disciplines. Say Through through the spiritual disciplines. Realize it's Christ that these friendships are devoted to, are centered on, not commonality. Not like interests. Not sports games, although those are fun to watch. It's Christ. This is what we're talking about. When we talk about a 242 communal aspect that's kingdom-based, we're talking about friendships that are oriented towards Christ. All else could fall aside. Christ still unites. How beautiful is that? One of my favorite authors, Henry Nowen, says, if you start with community and want to be faithful to community, you have to realize that what binds you together is not compatibility or common interests, but God. The beautiful thing, I want you guys to take a pause for a moment, and you guys over here, look across at these guys over here. You guys look at the beautiful people across over here. I didn't say you were beautiful, but you guys are beautiful too, so look at the beautiful people. You guys look across, and then you guys look across at each other. No, seriously, looking across at each other. I'll get out of your way. Yeah, wave at some people, right? Now look, you guys look at that section. You guys look at that section. You guys look... Anyway, just look at somebody, okay? And recognize that you are here right now because of one thing. Christ. You're not here to hear my message. You're not here to... uh, to Worship together, although those are great things. You are here for Christ. That's a beautiful thing. Christ unites us. I don't know you, but I don't need to know you to know that I love you because Christ unites us. Isn't that incredible? This can transform our friendships when we realize this because then all other things, all the things that would try and divide us. How many of you guys know that there's plenty trying to divide us within culture today. Plenty that's trying to get us to throw up arms towards each other, cast accusations towards each other, and just go, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. And Christ says, "Uh uh-uh. I unite. In our house, Emily and I like to say, well, I like to say, uh, that politics do not divide here in this household. Christ unites. Someone comes over, we're hosting someone, they go, what do you think of that politics? Nope. There's no division here. Christ unites. And it's beautiful. Beautiful. So friendships devoted to Christ through the spiritual disciplines. We used to say, and the spiritual disciplines. Friendships devoted or centered on Christ and the spiritual disciplines. The issue is that could go askew real quick. Because the spiritual disciplines aren't ends in and of themselves. It's not like we we focus on Christ and then we also focus on the spiritual disciplines. No, we focus on Christ through the spiritual disciplines. And as we talk about the disciplines tonight, or you might have heard them called the spiritual practices, as we talk about the practices, the disciplines, they are not the point, but they do point us to Christ. Christ. They could be life-giving, not because they're life-giving in and of themselves, but they're life-giving because they orient us towards the one who is life. They have freedom in them because they bring us to the one who has set us free. If you guys are anything like me, this is like confessions of a pastor right now. I remember sitting down and, and hearing, you know, whether it was, like, Pastor Duane is amazing here at Rez. And, and he is a disciplined machine. <laughs> like, he wakes up every day at, like, four, and then he does, like, laps in a, a pool somewhere. I don't even know where, but he just, he swims. That's after he reads Scripture, probably, like, four times through. And, you know, and he's just, and I've heard him talk years and years and years. I've I've served under his leadership now for nearly 12 years. And I've heard him say on multiple occasions, you know, here, I, I, I do this, I pray every day, and I pray this way, or I've read the scriptures, you guys may have heard him say from Sunday morning recently, he's, he's read the scriptures like over 150 times, wild, and I used to, I used to sit there in the pew, and i go, wow, how prideful, this is, I'm not saying Pastor Dwayne's prideful, I'm saying this is the broken Yahoo Nick going, oh, wow, and I would hear these things, and i go, that just sounds like dead religion to me, Somebody goes, oh, I, I pray the Lord's Prayer every single day. And I go, Pff, that would get boring. That would get old. This is young Nick. If you, got, you, you may have been in that position to where you felt like the spiritual disciplines get stuffy. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. It feels a little too bound. I want to be free with Christ. But I encourage you that there's so much more within the disciplines. Within our our day and age, within our culture, we don't like the word discipline. That's not a word that we typically use, except for like when a a parent disciplines a child. We we think of it in a negative context. But you realize, how many of you guys ever played sports in school? How many of you guys ever played an instrument in school? Good. With both of those they require discipline. I got cut twice from the basketball team. That was my sports career. First time I was like, yes, Michael Jordan got cut. Second time I was like, goodbye hoop dreams. You know, (laughs) it's like, I'm going to be the next Michael Jordan. Then nope, coach said, no, you're not. Um, I just wasn't disciplined in that area. We, you realize when we look at people, when we look at actors, we actually we have covers. People magazine, we put people who are disciplined in certain areas, right? Not always disciplined in the better areas of life. We, and we celebrate people because of discipline. If you've ever gone to Cirque du Soleil and you see the acrobats flying through the air, they can do that because of discipline. Without discipline, it's no longer acrobats it's a hazard and probably certain death. <laughs> so actually, when we, when we look at it, disciplines are all around us, and we typically celebrate those that we didn't see the work that went into the disciplines. And we just imagine, oh, it's natural talent. Brad Pitt, natural talent. It's probably because good smile, you know? <laughs> well, he's, he's disciplined in certain areas you've heard of spiritual disciplines before. Raise your hand. Good. Okay. It's okay if you haven't. What are? Throw out some spiritual disciplines to me. Who can name one off the top of your head? Silence and Solitude. Silence and solitude. Yes. That's a good one. Scripture reading. Scripture reading. Good. Fasting. Great. For those who don't know, that's not running fast, that's abstaining from food. It's okay. I cannot do that. <laughs> Travis goes, I cannot do that. <laughs> Feasting, yes. Fasting, maybe next year. <laughs> Again, sometimes we're, we're apprehensive of the disciplines. Good. You guys have done well. I'll have a list of disciplines. If you are not taking notes, now would be the time to start taking notes uh, because I'm going to start giving you a toolbox to pull from in order to be able to apply this within your community groups. So what is a spiritual discipline? It is a rhythm or practice found in Scripture that aims and orients us towards Christ in His kingdom. Say, towards Christ, towards Christ. and his kingdom. his kingdom. Rhythms and practices. Every single one of you guys have rhythms and practices in your life. In fact, every single one of your friends' groups has rhythms and practices. You, you'll know this. If you ever run into an old friend that you haven't seen in years, and all of a sudden you find yourself back into old rhythms. You ever have that? I remember a couple years into my Christian walk, I was, I was living towards God, and I was actually living a, a disciplined life, and then I ran into my best friend from high school at the mall. And all of a sudden, words started coming out of my mouth that I hadn't used in years. Because I was falling back into the rhythms In practices of that friendship, every single friendship has rhythms and practices that are orienting us in a specific direction. We could be conscious and intentional about those rhythms and practices, and that's what we call spiritual disciplines. Paul loves using the discipline language. Paul loves using all sorts of athletic language. Discipline, practice, right? There's uh, training, equipping, Uh, He would frequently use things like running the race, or fighting the good fight, or shadow boxing, or all these different things. Paul was deeply into discipline. In fact, we see that Paul was disciplined. He asked, hey, when you come, bring me the scriptures and the other writings that I love reading. He was disciplined. He says, when I think of you, I pray for you. Great delight towards you. Right? Right? Paul was a disciplined individual, and he's trying to embody that in his writings. He's trying to offer that over to us. We can see that in 1 Corinthians 9.27. We'll first read it in the New Living Translation. I discipline my body like an athlete, Paul says, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might myself be disqualified. The Passion Translation puts it this way, but I train like a champion athlete. I subdue my body and get it under control so that after preaching the good news to others, I won't find myself to be disqualified. I train. I discipline. I practice. These are formational movements in our life. Colossians 3, 9 through 10. Again, Paul's talking here. And he's talking about community. Colossians 3 is amazing. 1 through 17, I would say, dwell on that for the next month. It's amazing, amazing. And he's talking about what does it look like to put off the old man. And, and here he's also talking about community. What does it look like to not only put off the old man, but to put off the old ways of community and to take on the new way of life, the Christ-like way of life, the Christ-like way of community. And he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Say practices. practices. Our old self has practices. Practices. Our old way of life is an old practiced way of life, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Now Paul doesn't specifically say here, put off the old practices, take on the new practices, but I promise you it is implied there. As I've searched out Paul's writings, especially the areas where he talks about spiritual formation, Christ formation, the the sanctification journey, he's using practicing language. It is implied here. If we put off the old self with its practices, we would take on the new self with its what? Practices. Practices. Search it out, and I promise you you'll see it in there. Which is then, those practices are helping us be renewed in the image And knowledge of our creator. Absolutely beautiful. So, so far I've been kind of leaning within these last couple of scriptures towards the individual journey. Spiritual disciplines aid in our devotion towards Christ. If you take these disciplines and you start incorporating them into your life, it will aid in your devotion towards Christ. And as it aids in your devotion towards Christ, you will get to see Christ more fully. And as you see Christ more fully, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we behold Him as in a mirror, and when we behold Him in His glory, we become like Him. So as these disciplines, as these practices orient us towards Christ, we start to find that every step forward after that looks that much more like Christ. This step more than that step, this step more than that step doesn't mean I'm not going to stumble, but it does mean that I'm on a forward trajectory towards the one I'm fixated on. In the practices, the disciplines have helped me to fixate on them. If that's true, then our communal disciplines aid in our friendship's devotion towards Christ. Our communal disciplines, the things that we do as a community, as our friends, are moving us in a specific direction. Is it moving us towards Christ or is it moving us towards whatever? The whatever might not be a bad thing, but you guys are here because we said it. We are here focused on Christ. You guys are here because you're saying, I, I'm taking my Thursday night and giving it to Christ. Christ. I'm taking my life and I'm giving it to Christ. I want it to be about Him because He made His life about me. So when our, when our relationships are moving us in a different direction, they're moving us away from that goal. You guys want the goal of Christ being at the center of all? Good. There's life in that. Is this good? All right. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day when Christ returns, when all things are consummated in him. As that day draws nearer and nearer, we would press into this all the more. And realize the writer of Hebrews here, again, is looking at two different habits. Do not neglect meeting together, fellowshipping with one another, as some make it habit to do. But instead, he's implying have habits that stir one another up to love. And from that love comes good works not neglecting to meet with each other but encouraging one another so four common misconceptions of the the spiritual disciplines one is that they're dead rituals i talked about how i carried that misconception for a long time ah i can i can love jesus without the spiritual disciplines yes but also no <laughs> How else am I going to interact with Him if I'm not praying? How else am I going to learn of who He is, see Him face to face without diving into His Word? You realize we are bodied beings. We are, we are human beings, but we, we also do things. And these doing things should be oriented towards getting to know who it is that we love. Second, second, they play into works-based earning. This is a big one. Oh no, spiritual disciplines, I'm not going to go there. That's, I, I'm not going to work my way into salvation. No, that's not what this is. This is working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because it is God who is working in you. These are, these are not ways that we earn God's love. These are ways that we step into His love that He has already freely given us. Dallas Willard would say, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. We're not earning our way in, but we are putting effort towards the relationship that we say is ultimate. I don't earn my way into Emily's love, but I, I do work <laughs> to, to interact with her, to do things for her, to, to Be with her. You realize if I just laid in my bed and was a schlub, it wouldn't be much of a marriage. (laughs) That's right, I said schlub. (laughs) Next, you need to feel something while you're doing them. No, you don't. You don't even need to see any results over the next three weeks. It's okay. Like, trust me, when I eat cupcakes, I don't feel anything. I I mean, I feel, oh, this is delicious, but I don't feel anything, right? But if I eat those consistently, I might not even see anything happen, but then all of a sudden one day I look in the mirror and I go, whoa, okay, (laughs) cut down on the cupcakes. Just because you aren't feeling something doesn't mean something isn't working. (laughs) Now, there's a better cupcake. (laughs) It's called scripture and all these different things. So, just because you don't feel something. Oh, I went into prayer, or I, I sat in silence, and I didn't feel anything. Perfect. That's the point. <laughs> That's what silence is. It's, it's nothing. <laughs> and there's actually beauty. We'll get to that. There's beauty to doing nothing with God. <laughs> we'll get there. You guys doing good? Because i got three minutes left, and I have, like, 15 more minutes. Is that okay? All right. Lastly, the last misconception, they are unnecessary for a life of devotion. Are they necessary for salvation? No. Are they necessary for a life of devotion? Yes. Like I said, how does devotion work out if it isn't through the spiritual disciplines? Like The fun thing is, though, if you try... To be devoted towards Christ, you're going to accidentally start doing spiritual disciplines. It's amazing. (laughs) You're like, oops, I found myself in Scripture because I wanted to be devoted to Christ. Well, great, you're doing a spiritual discipline. But then the the beautiful thing is when you realize, oh, wow, I found myself doing it, that opens up all the rest of the spiritual disciplines that can usher you in and your communities in to Christ's presence. So I'm going to try and pick up the pace here. Four things the disciplines do. This is crucial. They embody the story of Christ and his church. We are storied beings. If you've been around for access for any length of time, uh, you may have heard some of my messages in the past about how storied we are. We live into a story. We are affected by stories. Our life is aiming in the direction of the ultimate story that we have bought into. And the disciplines, when rightly understood, and when seen within Scripture and within the grand context of what Christ is doing, are actually embodiments of Christ's story that we get to participate in. It's no longer anything that I'm doing for Christ, it's actually stuff that we've seen Christ do himself, that we now get to walk hand in hand with him. When we fast, we start to to think back on the times that Christ fasted. When he was in the wilderness, being tempted by the enemy, and we realize, I'm not fasting by myself right now. I'm fasting in the presence of Christ because he has fasted on my behalf. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when we talk about Christ, we are always talking about our contemporary Meaning we're not talking, yes, we are talking about a historical Christ, 2,000 years ago, but we are also talking about the Christ who is ever-present, seated at the right hand of the Father, and is no longer dead, but is risen, praise the Lord. He is our contemporary. As we do these practices, He is also doing them with us. All of a sudden, we're we're doing things out, we're working things out, but then like we, we said, we find out that God is working these things out in us and through us. So who's doing what? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. We, just, we do the disciplines and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in the presence of God. We find that Christ himself is living this story out through us. We find ourselves in his narrative and his narrative starts to find itself in us. They build history with the Lord. I remember uh, Bill Johnson years ago, somebody came up and said, I want you to pray over me that you can give me a double portion of your anointing. And he goes, I can't do that because I can't give you my history with the Lord. If you want the anointing, if you want what is happening in our midst, you've got to take the time and get into the secret place. Like Jesus says in Matthew 6, get in there, close the door, pray to your Father who hears you in secret. They build history With the Lord. And there's nothing like coming together in community. Part of that is tonight. Tonight, as we were worshiping, as things were happening in our midst and things are being released, God's doing this right now. Hey, declare this. That was history with God that we just had as a community. Like I said, as we come together focused on Christ, I don't know you. I don't know if we have really anything in common except for Christ. And yet it doesn't matter because we just had a shared experience in the presence of God that has marked us all. That's beautiful. Now imagine taking your community and doing that on a regular basis. Over and over and over again. Now you guys are walking forward, dripping, drenched with the presence of God because you have built history. This should get us excited. This is what we were seeing in the early church. They're building history with the Lord. And in building history with the Lord, they made history with the Lord. That's why we have Acts Isn't that beautiful? He's inviting. Acts isn't over. (laughs) I heard someone once say, Acts is the only New Testament scripture that doesn't finish with amen because (laughs) it hasn't been completed. We're carrying it on. You and I are the church going forward. It's the acts of the apostles, the acts of the church. It's carrying forward. We are in a certain way, not adding to scripture, but carrying forth the story of God and his people. And we get to do that in community. They aim us towards the love of God and the love of neighbor. If the disciplines are not aiming us towards love, we are doing them wrong. And they develop in us holy habits and virtues. Really through the embodiment of Christ and his church, through Building history with the Lord through aiming us to love God and love neighbor, then through all of that, it's developing that holy habit and virtue. Do you guys know what virtue is? I feel like it might be an old word at this point. You guys know vice, like Miami vice, you know? Vice is is (laughs) negative habits of orientations. Virtues, Britannica describes it as this the habitual capacity of a person to respond freely and consciously to situations in a manner that reflects and intensifies his conformity to Christ, which is a lot of words. So in other words, (laughs) virtue is the ability to habitually respond to something in a Christ-like manner. Do you think it's possible to respond like Christ did on the cross, where when he was spitted at and reviled, he actually blessed? It wasn't difficult for Christ to look out and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It would have been more difficult for Christ to have looked out and said, curse you. Because he was the type of person who naturally blessed when being cursed. Do you think it's possible to become that kind of person? To where when you are spit at, reviled, cursed, you look at them and say, God bless you. Father, forgive them. I forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's what happens in these. Not overnight. Not overnight not over years, over a lifetime, devoted towards, and that also is what happens to a community. Often we know communities that when, when somebody feels cursed within the community, all of a sudden gossip breaks out. The natural byproduct is, can you believe what they said? Oh, help me to pray over them, okay, brother? Pray over sister uh, Sally over here because, you know, it's like, that's, that's not it. <laughs> that's not virtue, But as we... Yeah, Sister Sally. (laughs) That's right. I don't know. We're at a Presbyterian church. or (laughs) It's like, Sister Sally. (laughs) You guys get it? As a community, we operate within community in virtue because of of Christ, but then orienting ourselves towards Christ through the disciplines. So... The disciplines are not the point, but they do point us toward Christ. So there's a long list of disciplines, right? Uh, in fact, pretty much anything could be, not pretty much anything, but anything good <laughs> could be turned into a discipline when oriented towards Christ. Again, I remember a, a story from Dallas Willard, who uh, was a professor, and he had a student that stood up and just said, No, you're wrong, in this and that, and this and that, and this and that. And the guy went on for like five minutes, just ranting at him, tearing him down and saying, You're a terrible professor. And at the end of the class, or at the end of the five-minute rant session, Professor Willard said, well, I think that's about enough for for the class today. Thank you for your thoughts. We're going to close out. And a student came up, a student teacher came up to him and said, you could have ripped him a new one. Like you could have tore his argument to shreds. Why didn't you? And he said, I'm practicing the discipline of not having the last word. Wow. That's moving towards Christ-likeness. So anything could be turned into a discipline, right? Like, I, I need to practice the discipline of not going into the pantry and eating Samuel's goldfish, right? Like, it could be turned into a discipline. There's things that can be. But then there's also disciplines that we see in Scripture. You're like, okay, hurry up, guy. Um, disciplines that we see in Scriptures, and I want to write these down in your notes. Search some of these out. I'm not saying you have to go home and try all of these on. That would break you. You would have an operator failure and you would weep yourself to sleep. Okay? But choose one, maybe two if you're feeling extra ambitious, but choose one of these as you move forward from today to incorporate within your 242s. Something that you may not have done with each other in the past. So the first one is the prayers. Again, Paul, or sorry, uh, Luke, as he was recording Acts, and sa- they devoted themselves, he says, the prayers. So it's not just prayer, uh, as in they just came together and said, What do you want to pray about? Do you have any prayers, Sister Sally? Right? Uh, no, there, there's rote prayers that they would pray. You guys know one of them, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They would pray this. In fact, the Didache, one of the earliest uh, church records that we have after the Scriptures, it's not part of the Scriptures, we don't hold it at the same level, but it was considered the Didache, the teaching of the apostles, and the teaching of the church said, you should pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day, morning, midday, evening. So we know that for years the early church would pray the Lord's Prayer, A written prayer. They wouldn't wing it. They would just pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. And they found it enriching. This week in class for discipleship, we were talking about, we're closing out in the next couple of weeks, and we were talking about our chapel times. And we start every chapel off with the Lord's Prayer. We finish every chapel off with communion every single week. We have not missed a week. And we were talking about how transformative that has been. Not only has it transformed the way that we look at the Lord's Prayer, but it also transforms us as we've been praying. God, your will be done on earth as is in heaven, right? Give us this day our daily bread. That is transformative when you pray that together over a course of, of time. The prayers. Psalms are prayers. You could live into the Psalms. Realize that the Psalms were actually the prayer book of Jesus. Realize that Jesus coming as man had to learn and grow so he actually learned how to pray, which is a crazy thought. The humility of God that he stooped to our level and had to learn how to pray. He who receives prayers, he who intercedes on our behalf for the rest of eternity, had to learn how to pray. And he learned how to pray through the Psalms to such a degree that he's hanging on the cross and Psalm 22 just falls out of his lips. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a psalm. He's praying the way that he's learned. The the early church leaned into that and prayed these on a consistent basis. Communion. Again, like I said, these embody the story of Christ and his church. The beautiful thing about communion is you get in anytime you have, this is an assignment for you. Anytime you have a breakdown, an argument in your group, come around the table of communion. You're reminded of Christ's forgiveness, and you're reminded that you're sitting across the table, not of an enemy but of somebody who God has chosen and welcomed to the table. That's transformative to a community, guys. You start to realize, wait a second, our bickering, our disagreements are nothing. Paul would say, they're dog dung compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. That'll transform a community. That will melt away shame. You come into your community, you go, if you guys only knew what I did this week, and then you come around the table of Christ, you drink of his blood, you eat of his flesh through the, the bread and wine or grape juice, right? Drink responsibly. But, <laughs> and, and there's a transformation that happens there. Shame melts away because you go, oh yeah, I'm not what I did, I am who you say I am. Communion. Worship. Engage in all sorts of things of worship. Realize that worship embodies the story of Christ. Worship, we are stepping into it with Christ. We are crying out, not only to Christ, but with Christ. He worshiped perfectly on our behalf. He is worshiping perfectly on our behalf right now as the perfect man before God and also the perfect God to man. He's worshiping on our behalf. We get to worship with Him. Group reading and discussion. This is... Obviously, reading scripture, uh, but also incorporate other spiritual reads, maybe some of the spiritual classics. I have a couple here that I wanted to recommend. Uh, One is is A.W. Tozer's Pursuit of God. If you want your group to be lit on fire on Pursuit of God, this is one of my all-time favorite books. I try and read this every year. I've done, I've done group reads of this, and every single time, it makes us come along. Where's Amadeus at? He'll tell you. like <laughs> It lights you up. A.W. Tozer, Pursuit of God. He he wrote this on a train ride overnight. It's crazy, because it's like, "I know, it's a spiritual classic. Literally millions of these have gone out there. Fantastic. Another one: Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You don't need to know how to spell the name. It'll come up when you... Life Together. This is another spiritual classic. This is incredible. Bonhoeffer was actually opposing Nazi Germany and actually had to take his church into the underground and do a whole seminary and church structure relationships underground because the Nazi regime was out to try and kill everybody. And, and in going under, underground, it actually caused him to look back and go... What is most crucial towards life together aimed at Christ? This book is amazing. So either of these, just choose one and take your group with it. Don't turn it into a book study. Just, just read it and discuss. It doesn't need to be formal. It could be loose, but, but do it and watch what it does to orient you towards Christ. Charles Spurgeon says, Visit many great books. Live in one. The Bible We visit these. These are like Airbnbs. We show up, we vacation in them, but this is where my address is, right? If I get a little picket like mailbox right here, bink, bink, incoming mail. You know, like this is our home address, but we visit these. This is okay. Visit these as frequently as possible, but live in this. (laughs) It wasn't me, it was Charles Spurgeon, right? The Prince of Preachers, okay. Uh, silence. I say and solitude, um, but mainly silence. I think one of the most marking points of a community that is healthy is the ability to be silent with one another. Emily and I, we have a, a 242 with um, Pastor Ben Leps here and his wife and, and just some close, close friends. And one of my favorite times is when, like, we spend, there's been times where we spend, like, the entire day. We got to, to lunch one time. We were like, what are we doing for the rest of the day? I don't know. We didn't have anything planned. Do you guys want to go to the zoo? Sure. <laughs> and it's just awesome. We live life into the. But one of my favorite times is when, like, all the words are spent And silence comes in. There's no more need for words. Hearts are calling out to one another. Deep is crying out for deep. There's no need to perform. There's no need to talk. There's just silence within the group. And those silent moments become holy moments. Those silent moments, you'll feel it, are impregnated. The Celtic church would say that there's Places like, they call them thin spaces, where the space between heaven and earth is so thin you could reach out and grab it, cut it with a knife. Silence brings in thin spaces. It's beautiful. You don't want to force it, but you can exercise it. You can practice it. It's awkward at first. You want to search for your phone at first. But if you will learn to embrace it over time, it could be rich and rewarding acts of service allow your group to go beyond itself to live beyond itself maybe you're going to be like acts two where they gave of their possessions and then sold their possessions and gave to those in need maybe your group goes out and says hey you know what and that's generous giving is on here as well you know what we're going to be outwardly focused we're going to be others focused let's listen to the lord to see what he wants us to do to go out and serve Whether it's the homeless, whether it's the elderly, whether it's widows, whatever it might be, we're going to go out and serve. Are these good? Lectio Divina, we have a a packet in the back, so that's Scripture reading, but Lectio Divina just means divine Scripture reading. There's a way of of praying into Scripture, leaning into Scripture, and meditating on it that you can do as a community. Uh, There's packets in the back part of our Red Initiative that you could get for that. Evangelism. What does it look like to be so full of Christ within your community that you can't help but to burst at the seams and go out and share them with others? You catch just his heartbeat for what he's doing in your community. What's what's it look like to just shift that heartbeat, to, to look at that heartbeat from another facet and go, oh my word, how can we keep this in our midst? How can we not want to run out there and share it with others? Experience this with us. Fasting and feasting. Maybe fast together. There's been times where my closest brothers and I, for situations or even just seasons that we go, hey, we feel like we're supposed to be fasting together. We'll take, whether it be a day or a three-day stretch, and we know that each other is with each other in fasting. There's a solidarity in fasting with somebody else. It's not a show. It's a, hey, we're going to die to ourselves and lean in to see what God wants to do in our midst, what he wants to say to us, what he wants to release through us, and the vision that comes from that. Again, the solidarity, I wasn't fasting with them in their presence, but after three days we come together and I go, I know you deeper, because we were just emptying ourselves together. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. It's not twisting God's arm, but it is learning a rhythm of feasting on every word that comes from the mouth of God in recognizing that man does not live on bread alone. And then feasting. Emily and I, we love hosting Friendsgiving over at our house. We do it for the students. We do it for our friends group. There's something to coming around the table. And just, there's times to just indulge in food. And, right, to have to like uh, loosen your belt one notch. It's like, man, we just expanded together. This is amazing. (laughs) It's good. There's more of you to love, is what, you know, my friends say to me. And I, I don't know how to take that one. Sabbath rest, what does it look like to, to break the structure that our society has told us of this hustle, eat, pray, and to actually not hustle, <laughs> to realize that we're not the ones that are running the universe. And we, we, we take Sabbath and we look at God and we say, God, you're really good at being God. And we are not. It's as simple as that. Generous giving, we talked about that. And then I'll finish here uh, with these disciplines on grace and forgiveness. Uh, is this a discipline? Actually, I think it is. I, I think grace and forgiveness are things that we have to practice our way into. And there's no way of getting around. This is the place. Our 242s are the place to practice forgiveness and grace. It's heartbreaking when relationships that are supposed to be oriented towards Christ fall away because things that are ultimately insignificant, temporal things of this world. You just look back at the COVID season and you go, man, deep relationships that were oriented on Christ broke apart for confusion. I understand the confusion. I was in that season. I get it. But Christ unites through the elections. Deep, oriented relationships end up splitting because of political alliances? Again, practice communion and then practice grace and forgiveness. Jesus holds it to such a degree that He says, man, if you're at the altar and you have a gift to offer to the Lord and you recognize that there's a broken relationship with your brother, your gift isn't even suitable to give to God yet because you have to go and reconcile that. That's powerful. That's important. How would we let if Christ could be on the cross? I know we're not there yet, but if He could be on the cross and say, "You're killing me right now," God bless you. Then we can look at somebody who left a you know poor comment on our Instagram post or didn't like our whatever it is, and we can look at them and go, "It's okay. We're gonna get through this. I love you." We can practice this. It's a spiritual discipline. There's multiple places that God has given us to be able to learn this discipline. One is in our family, grace and forgiveness. Two is within our our marriages, right? Like, so if you I'm married, and that's, that's actually the number one for me right now. God constantly gives me opportunities, gives Emily especially opportunities for grace and forgiveness. She's married to this Yahoo, and she is a powerhouse because she has had to practice this a lot. We practice it there, we practice it in our families, and we practice it within our church and, and Christian communities. But unfortunately, Christians have modeled, have practiced for years the opposite. Unfortunately, Christians have looked to marriages, families, and their Christian relationships and held them to such a degree and standard that they have actually laid them aside at the altar of bitterness, resentment. It's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. There's another way, guys. Dietrich Bonhoeffer from Life Together says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. We all have an ideal in our mind of what community is supposed to look at, and we're supposed to lay that ideal at the foot of Christ because that's where we meet people to love them, to relate with them, yeah. to be with them. Mm-hmm. Don't let your ideal of what community is supposed to look like ruin your community. Let God be at the center of it all. Is this good? I wanted to just throw out one last book recommendation if you go, hey, spiritual discipline's completely new to me. Uh, A great entry level into the spiritual disciplines is John Ortberg's The Life You've Always Wanted. The fun thing is, I promise I do thrift store shopping for books all the time. I guarantee you, every single thrift store in Grand Rapids vicinity that you go to, you'll find a copy of this. So if you want to get one at a cheap, you go to Goodwill, you go to <laughs> Salvation Army. This book is out there, but it's fantastic. There's a reason why there's so many out there is because it's a, a great book to go through. So John Ortberg's The Life You've Always Wanted. So again, don't try and put all these to practice, but take one. Introduce it to your community and say, hey, what would it look like for this to orient us towards Christ? Not for us to orient around this discipline. The discipline is not the point. It's for us to orient around Christ. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for community. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And God, I pray that the the communities uh, here at Access would be marked by your presence would be marked by a constant, fervent pursuit of you and your kingdom. Let these disciplines, let these practices be liberating to us, to release us into your presence and goodness. Let them not be bondage that holds us down or things that we turn into idols. It's our joy to orient towards you. We love you, praise you, pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said... Amen. Thank you guys for the grace of giving me extra time. I appreciate it.